I'm Jack Semlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2017 Precision Farming Dealer Podcast Series. Today's program, part two of Lessons Learned, Creating a Lasting Precision Business Legacy, is being brought to you by Farmer's Edge. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if there's another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know. We'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released and a chance to go back and review earlier episodes in this year's series and episodes from 2016. Thanks again to Farmer's Edge, proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at farmersedgeusa.com slash become a representative or call them at 952 582 1398. Well, one way or another, every dealership's owner will exit their business someday. Whether it's a planned or abrupt departure, there will be a legacy left by that owner. While there are multiple ways to create a legacy, it's critical that business owners proactively plan their exit strategy rather than wait for the inevitable, says Arlen Sorensen. CEO and founder of HTS Ag, an independent precision farming company based in Harlan, Iowa. Owners need to take the initiative in driving that business value, but they also need to be accountable to someone and know who that person is. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast brought to you by Farmer's Edge, Sorensen discusses the benefits of a background in the IT industry, changing margins in the precision farming market, and building a billable service model. One of the benefits of being in the IT space has been I've been down the road that precision technology is going to go already. I've, I've seen what's going to happen in this industry. Product margins, they start really high when things are new and fresh. IT, we sold computers at 50 points margin. That was awesome. You couldn't screw up and not make money. It was just impossible. Precision technology stuff, I don't know if it started quite that high, but it was in the 30s, maybe up to 40. Over time, as the industry matures, margin goes down on product. In IT, we got down into single digits, and we were selling notebooks and laptops and desktop computers at three points that we used to sell for 50. It is hard to make money at 3%. I can just tell you that right now. So we had to make a shift. We had to shift to services. In the early days in IT, we gave services away. We installed for free. No one in here has ever done that with precision, right? 
If you got a lot of margin, you can do service for free. Once the margin starts to decline, that doesn't work so good either. Because there's a cost to delivering service. There's a real cost to delivering good service. So we had to start charging to fix things. And then we had to start charging a little more to connect things. Because we started to sell more than just this one point product. We started to sell solutions. We had to figure out how to make them all hook together and work. And that took some experience and some expertise. Then we started to do some proactive stuff. We started to update firmware before it was really not working and do services to make sure that people were ready to go to the field. In IT, it got to the point where customers wanted to know how much that was going to cost. So we said, fine, we'll just charge you so much a month and we'll, we'll do these things for you. And pretty soon, we got to the point where we're doing managed services. Managed services is when the risk got shifted from the customer to the service provider. So you pay me a flat fee, I guarantee you your stuff's going to work. And I will make it work, no matter what that means. You got to get really good at running services when you get to that point. Now we're moving into cloud services, where all that stuff's happening in the cloud, where we don't have control of anything. But yet we have to have the expertise and skill set to be able to make it all work. And the thing that's going to become in IT next is called predictive services, where the technology is going to tell us what has to happen to keep this stuff going. Precision Ag is on this same journey, this exact same journey. And we've gotten to the point where a lot of you are doing some service contracts today. You're doing some, some uh, proactive services where you're getting stuff ready, checking it out before it goes to the field, updating firmware. Your customers are going to come to you sooner than later and tell you, hey, Mr. Dealer, how about I just pay you a fee and you just take responsibility to make sure it all works? And if it doesn't work, you can replace it and make it work. But I just want to pay you a flat fee for that and shift the risk from me to you. That day is going to come sooner than later in this space. Some of you may be there now. But that changes the dynamic a whole lot. You can charge more for that, which is the good news, but you've got to manage it tightly because it can get away from you in a hurry. This is a different sell than selling a yield monitor. Okay? You can make a lot of margin in services, and we're going to have to in this industry to stay in business. But we've got to be very, very good at defining what we're going to deliver and how we're going to do it. We also got to mature our sales team. We got to go from chaos to predictability. So we know what's going to happen. And work with farmers, that's asking a lot. Tell our story. If we're going to grow, we got to get good at this. 
we got to get really good at helping people understand how they can take technology and use it. And this is changing fast. Social media's there. Video, all kinds of digital stuff. And this transformation from outbound marketing to inbound marketing is a huge shift. In the old days, customers wanted us to find them. Today, new generation, they don't want us finding them. And in fact, if we do find them, they won't even talk to us. They want to find us. We got to be easy to get found and easy to connect with. And it's not going to be on your cell phone talking to it. It'll be on your cell phone or your smartphone, but it won't be talking. We got to understand the change in marketing that's going to happen here if we're going to grow. This is a tidal wave that's coming. By 2020, over 50% of the workforce will be millennials. They're not all the same, but they're all different than we are if you're my age. Okay? We have to tell the story in a way that people can find us and that we can do business together. The aim of marketing is to know and understand the customer so well that the product or service fits them and sells itself. This is what inbound marketing has to be. So simple for them to understand that they can say, that's it. Companies that grow learn how to stay inside the lines. By that I mean they can follow a process. They actually have it written down. They know how things are supposed to be done. And they're done the same way every time by every individual that touches that particular type of equipment. So that you don't have one of your field techs going out and saying, well, I wonder why we did it that way. That's a hard conversation to have with a customer. But if we don't have process, that's what happens. We have to take our people align them to a process, and do it on a platform that enables us to be consistent. We can't scale without this. At HDSA, we use a platform called ConnectWise. There's a lot of them out there, but you need a tool that will let you manage your service delivery effectively, consistently, have process that you've got documented that you can hold for quality control, you got to be consistent and follow process. If you want to grow, you got to learn how to communicate clearly. This is the number one complaint from employees. I really don't understand what we're trying to do or what I'm supposed to do or how I fit into the big picture here. I hear this over and over and over when I'm out consulting for companies. And when I sit down with the owner of that company, they always think they've told them. You know, it's kind of like when you get married and you tell your wife, I love you, and I'll let you know if anything changes. That doesn't work. We gotta communicate over and over and over. And we gotta realize not everyone hears and listens and understands the same way we do, especially across generational differences. 
Now, research says you've got to tell somebody seven times before they're actually going to hear and understand what it is you're trying to communicate. I sit with a lot of owners that say, I wrote an email and wrote all this stuff out for them. I told them exactly what they should know. They don't read their email. Whose problem is that? It's not the employee. It's the guy at the top that's supposed to be the grown-up that communicates with everybody that works for him. We have to really focus on this. And it's got to be across a lot of different areas. All of these things come out of effective planning. It's one thing to plan it. It's a whole other thing to actually communicate it. At the end of the day, people really want to know, how am I doing? And the younger they are, the more they want to know that. A lot of baby boomers or folks my age, we don't really tell people all that much how they're doing. A lot of employees say, well, I think I'm doing okay because I got a paycheck. I figure that's the measure that I should use because he never tells me anything. We got to learn to really communicate clearly. Another thing that we see in growth companies is they understand their 20-mile march. If you haven't read the book by Jim Collins called Great by Choice, I would, I would highly encourage you to read it. He tells a story in there of a couple of explorers that set out for the South Pole. They left within days of one another. They had different approaches, took different types of resources, but they had the same goal. They wanted to be the first to get to the South Pole. One of them had the approach of getting up in the morning, looking at what the weather was, and based on the circumstances, he would then take his team either a long ways, if it was a good day, or if it was a blizzard, they might not move at all. The other team had a 20-mile march. They got up every day, and no matter what the condition, they moved the same distance. Which team do you think got there first? The 20-mile march team. But that's not the real story. He got there about two weeks ahead of the other team. The real story is the second team, because they had pushed and didn't refresh each day, they all perished on the way back. They ran out of food, they froze to death, and they never got back. Collins has studied hundreds of businesses across the country and around the world. The signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. If you want to succeed, if you want to grow, you got to be consistent, which means we've got to define what our 20-mile march is. What are the things we're going to do every day as an organization? What am I going to do as an individual and leader in this organization every day to be consistent? And we got to execute it, which means we got to lead. Back to where we started. Leadership is foundational to growth. You will not grow if you don't lead and you don't build leaders. And leaders are made, they're not born. We've got to hire the right kind of people. We've got to create clear leadership plans. In some cases, we're going to need a coach to help us. But we've got to deal with this leadership thing if we want to succeed and grow. It's the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he wants to do it. It's all about relationships. Growth, when we boil it all down, comes down to relationships. 
which means we've got to understand people. We've got to understand how they think. We've got to understand their personalities so we can interact with them appropriately and effectively. We're all different. We're all unique. We have to become students of people. The most important single ingredient in the formula of success is knowing how to get along with people. Finally, the 12th thing that we find in growth companies is they have a legacy mindset. They know where they're going. There's lots of ways you can create legacy, okay? Go to the casino, go rob a bank, go to the track, play the lotto. Lots of ways you can try to create legacy. The only one that really works is to plan. We'll get back to the program shortly, but I did want to take a moment and again thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for making this program possible. Farmer's Edge is proud to partner with dealers across the United States to unlock exceptional opportunities for their farm customers. Through innovative technology and field-centric tools, their whole farm smart solution will strengthen your platform and enhance your customer relations. Grow the opportunities for your customers and become a representative for Farmer's Edge today. Visit them at FarmersEdgeUSA.com slash become a representative or call them at 952-582-1398. While reflecting on Sorensen's comments, he noted the importance of consistency and direction with a precision business if companies want to be successful long term. He shared the story of the 20-mile march and different approaches taken by two teams of explorers with a lesson that the signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. Success and growth are measured by consistency, and Sorensen says owners have to define what their 20-mile march is. What are the things they are going to do every day as an organization? What are you going to do as an individual and leader in the organization every day to be consistent? And how will that be executed? Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Arlen Sorensen on succession planning and considerations for exiting a precision business. got to be intentional about building legacy. And there's four lessons about legacy I want to make sure you don't miss. You are going to exit your business someday. I am yet to see one go in a casket. It doesn't happen. So you got to get ready. And the other thing I know about this is you don't have any idea when that's going to happen. We had a young man in our peer groups down in Florida, 36 years old, every Saturday morning. For years, he got up and went scuba diving with some of his buddies. It's now been about six years ago. I got a call on a November Saturday morning from one of his buddies. He said, Scott's dead. 36-year-old, picture of health. Went scuba diving, had a heart issue while he was underwater and died. That's tragic, and we all would acknowledge that. But the tragedy that was a lot worse because he wasn't ready for legacy. I got the call because Monday was payroll day 
and Scott was the only guy authorized on the account to sign checks. And his number two in command said, man, I gotta have, uh, we gotta get some money so I can pay people because if they come to work Monday and don't get a paycheck, they're gonna get real nervous real fast. So we helped him work through that. But Scott had gotten married about eight months earlier to his sweetheart he'd been chasing for a long time. And as part of the peer group, we asked people to get their legacy stuff in line. And he'd been working on it. In fact, he had presented earlier in the quarter to his group and showed them the will that he was working on and all the other financial and legal documents that he was trying to get in place. Only problem was, he didn't. So his wife was not even mentioned in his will. She was not a beneficiary of any of his insurance policies. She was not on his house. She was not listed as an owner of the business. And consequently, within a matter of a few months, she was living with a friend because she actually got nothing out of the whole estate process for one reason, because he didn't use any of his 168 hours to do the important things. Legacy matters. If you've got kids that are minors and you don't have a will, I'm gonna preach and tell you, shame on you. You owe it to your family to get that taken care of this week, okay? This stuff is important. This changes lives. Companies that grow get this. Second thing that people mess up with here is they think that hard work somehow is gonna translate into business value. Just because you get up and go to work every day does not mean somebody else is gonna write a check for the company. You have to build something people want. People pay for companies that make money consistently over time. And this I know for sure, nobody on your team that's not an owner is gonna wake up in the morning wondering how they can drive the business value of your organization. Employees don't care. We don't pay them to care. We pay them to do a job. They care about their paycheck. They don't care about your future. You have to own this. And we also have to remember that there's never as many dollars left from an exit as you expect. You gotta know your numbers. What is it you need to build? And if you're not a business owner, you still need to address this personal wealth thing. How much money do you need to accumulate so that you've got what you need when you need it? It doesn't happen accidentally, okay? So figure that out and make a plan. You're building your legacy every day while you live it. The only question is whether or not it's gonna be intentional. The government will take care of it for you, but it won't be what you want. So there they are, 12 things that we have found by studying companies that will help move you toward growth. You can't do all 12 of them, pick the one that's next and execute. Okay, so what now what? Here's the reality. There's a whole lot of things on that list you could do. There's a whole lot of things on that list some of you should do. There's even some things on that list you must do. But I can guarantee you, 
if you don't step across that line and say, I will, you ain't going to do anything I told you. We have to decide what we will do and make a commitment. That's how things get done. It all comes down to execution. If you're going to grow, you have to execute. And Edison says it as well as anybody. Vision without execution is hallucination. A lot of business owners spend a lot of time hallucinating. Because we think about a lot of stuff and we don't do it. Three things to leave you with. Who are you accountable to? A lot of people run a business because they want to be the boss and they want to be in charge. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's exactly why I run my businesses. The problem with that is we do what we want, if we want, not necessarily what we should do. We gotta have people that will hold us accountable. That's the power of meetings like this. It's the power of peer groups. You need people in your life that will ask you the hard questions and hold you accountable. If I look in your checkbook, look at your calendar, and see what you're thinking, what are the priorities that would be obvious? Every one of you would tell me that your family is a priority. But does that really show up when we look at how you spend your money and your time and your thought process? It's another area we've got to be accountable in. And if you were to die today unexpectedly, what kind of legacy would you leave? Have you got a legacy that you've got put together, that's got a plan that will take care of the people that you care about? If you haven't planned it out, you don't. You've got to be intentional. I talked about the 20-mile march. For me, I get up every morning and spend the first hour to an hour and a half of the day writing. That's how I get my act together every day. I haven't missed a day since 2008. Figure out what it is. So. If you want to get any uh, stuff from me, all I ask for is a business card so I can send it to you. You can write DEC on there if you want this presentation. If you're interested in information about peer groups, you can write that down. If you want to get on my daily email list where I share what I write each morning, you can put that down. Or if you want all of it, just put all on there. Terry and I will be around uh, the next couple of days. Just give me that info. I'll be glad to send you some information that you can use. I hope that uh, this has been helpful. Don't go home and try to do a whole bunch of stuff. Pick one or two things and go execute. Then you can do the next one. Don't fall into the trap of, man, I got this laundry list of things I need to do. You won't do it. Do one. Thank you very much. Oftentimes I find one of the problems that we have in our business is it's easy to get into these planning meetings, but it seems like you plan and it's difficult to stay on task with planning and actually be productive in it. What do you recommend or how do you, how do you change that culture of, well, planning beyond planning's, how do you, how do you control your planning, I guess? Okay, that, that's a great question. 
Um, so one of the things that, that we find that is, is a critical part of that is to have a planning system that you utilize, okay? Because the systems are gonna have mechanisms that prevent that from happening. So we use Stratop, but there's EOS, there's Gazelles, there's a number of, of planning systems in the marketplace. And they're all designed to not only create a plan, but then have a series of meetings and execution processes with accountability so that you don't, you don't get stuck. The biggest problem we see with planning in general is people will go off for a couple of days, write a strategic plan, put it in a binder, stick it on a shelf, and next year they come back and say, oh, we didn't do any of that. Well, they never looked at it after they put it on the shelf. So you've got you to develop a system that's got to be supported by the, all the right pieces to make it work. But it's a discipline that takes a couple of years to really get installed and done right. When it comes to all this, uh, how do you manage the amount of meetings you have to have? How do you feel about meetings uh, internally with leadership and, and your core group? How, how often do you guys meet as a group? So meetings are essential. I hate meetings, but they're essential, okay? And the secret to meetings is you've got to have a regular rhythm. So we do quarterly ownership meetings, monthly leadership meetings, weekly management meetings. And they're all predefined lengths of time with preset agendas so we know exactly what we're going to talk about. We don't run long. We quit when we're supposed to quit. And Running meetings is a critical part of being able to move a company forward. It's, it's critical for planning to work, but just to execute on a day-to-day -day basis, you have to have regular rhythm of meetings. We have a, a leader assigned to run each of those meetings in each of those different groups, correct, for sure. Yep, clear accountability. And we take notes, and there's an accountability at the end of that. A note process that gets mailed, emailed to everybody, so everybody knows exactly what they've signed up for and what when it's due. So I, I know uh, you're very involved, very invested in peer groups, but maybe you could share with the group here just um, what are some of the first steps to think about if you want to get involved with or start one of those. You know, and, and looking at kind of the group of folks we have here. You know, obviously connections are going to be made over the next couple of days, but if that's something you're looking for more of a long-term benefit from. Yeah, I, I would tell you that peer groups in my own personal life have probably been one of the most impactful things that I've ever done. So not only do I um, lead and, and facilitate a number of groups, I I'm actually going to Dallas tonight to participate in a peer group tomorrow and the next day. Um, we have a peer group of companies that run peer groups. So we get together and talk about how we can <laughs> do a better job of leading peers. The whole part, the whole value of peer groups really comes from a willingness to be transparent yourself and open and honest with the people around you. If you can do that, you will learn things that will make a huge impact in your business and your life. We, we, we've got over 70 groups now. They meet two days face to face every quarter. Um, you know, over 500 companies, these guys are committing that kind of time because it makes a difference and it changes them. So it's a willingness for you to be what we call get naked, you know, no blowing smoke, no making stuff up. We do, we do uh, 
financial transparency. People have to submit their financials every quarter. We know everything about these companies. They know everything about each other, and they learn from that. They know what good really looks like. They know how they can get better, and they push each other to do it. Yeah, so, so the question was about looking backward and balancing that with looking forward. Um, in my case, it's, it's basically by people's roles. I don't spend much time myself looking backward. That's not my skill, number one, because I'm always trying to figure out the next thing. Secondly, I'm not going to do anything about it, even if I did figure it out, because that's not my skill either, right? Entrepreneurs are great at starting stuff, coming up with new ideas. We absolutely are pathetic at actually making something run long term. So one of the secrets is you've got to hand that off to people that really understand how to take that backward-looking stuff and use it. And I've got a team of people around me that do that for me. So, so it's, it's haboo, right? It's not my haboo to look backward. I would rip the rearview mirror out of my car and just go as fast as I can forward, right? But I've got to have some people sitting beside me that are looking out that mirror and saying, hey, that's not going to work. So that's the way I address it, is figuring out where I fit in that picture. Yeah. So, the, so the millennial group is, a, is an interesting group. I'm kind of, I'm not one, um, uh, no, but they're an interesting one. group, yeah. So, so how do you incorporate or have you incorporated millennials into some of these peer groups so you can, I mean, one of the things that, I, uh, that, 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 uh, that they do in like San Francisco or whatever is they don't care to own a car, they're gonna use Uber. And so it's not even something we even anticipate, I mean, not, we love cars, so why would I not want a car? Well, so how do you incorporate them into your peer groups to understand what it's gonna look like five years from now or 10 years from now? Great question. Um, the, the millennials are here, and they are starting to make a huge impact in a lot of areas of, of growth and business. Um, First thing we have to do is we have to try to understand them, okay? And, and sitting down and talking with millennials, I, I find myself asking, what? A lot, right? <laughs> Which is not the right response, but uh, we're, I'm just not wired like a millennial. What we're finding in the peer groups today, because this is exactly where we're at, we are actually rolling a new program out in 2017 to address this, Peer groups, uh, in our experience, have heavily been based on people wanting to sit together in a room with a group of trusted people that they could have a deep relationship with. The peer-to-peer -peer networking was a critical part of what we delivered. Millennials are coming to us and saying, we already have a network. We've got our social media connections. We've got people we're connected with around the globe. It's far more than you're ever going to deliver to us in a peer group environment. Here's what we want. We want you to put experienced, seasoned, veteran people in the room that can tell us what to do. They want content. And so that's the, the way we're creating a new program offering in, inside of HTG. We're going to deliver content to these younger folks who then will, will use the peer part to do accountability but as far as learning from others, they're doing that already because that's the way they grew up and that's all they know. 
It's kind of the buying cycle today, right? Millennials do it very different. They go do their research. They ask their friends what worked and what didn't work. They figure out what they want. Then they come and say, okay, what's the price? Because this is what I expect. Um, it's a very different kind of deal. So we're going to have to adjust, and we're going to have to adjust mightily in the workplace. Quarterly reviews don't work for millennials. A lot of us don't even do annual reviews. Millennials want to know on a very regular basis how they're doing. We got to adjust a lot of how we interact with those folks. And they're not wrong. They're just different. And a lot of us, I was guilty of, well, I'm just going to change it. Plug you into my system and you're going to be, you know, like it. That isn't going to work. Now, Arlen, how are you qualifying participants in this type of peer group? My brother does a lot of it in agriculture and higher end groups and I have an idea what he does, but we can pull somebody from California and Wisconsin and Florida and put them in a room. Today, some of us in precision are dealing across all those states. What, what do you, how are you qualifying those participants? So what we've found really is, is a couple of qualifications that, that matter to us. One is mindset, okay? They've got to, they've got to want to grow, be willing to change, uh, be willing to be transparent. You know, owner mindset is, is a critical one. We also then do some breaks based on size of organizations. So we have a, we have a program for companies under 10, we have one from 10 to 30, and we have one for 30 and above. But we're, we don't try to put like companies in a room. We try to put as much diversity in a room within those parameters as we can, and always geodiverse. All of our groups are very geodiverse, so we don't have any competitive fear at all. Well, thank you, Arlen, for offering some valuable insight and advice on proactively planning for a precision business legacy. And those listeners who would like to read more about the presentation mentioned during the podcast, please visit www.precisionfarmingdealer.com. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262 262- 777-2441. And I'd like to again recognize and thank our sponsor, Farmer's Edge, for helping make this Precision Farming Dealer podcast series possible. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this series in iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. And I'd encourage you to also keep up on the latest precision farming news impacting your dealership by registering online for our free e-newsletter, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at PFD Editors and on our Precision Farming Dealer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on August 9th for the next episode in our 2017 podcast series, and we hope to see you out at the Dealership Mind Summit coming up in Omaha, Nebraska on August 1st and 2nd. For Arlen Sorensen, Farmer's Edge, and our entire staff here with Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <laughs>